So uh, after taking that break for a couple of weeks, today we're uh, res- resuming our series in 1 Samuel by taking a look at Israel's first human king, uh, Saul. Uh, three weeks ago, we looked at the events surrounding Saul's selection as king and uh, some of the early aspects of his life and kingship. And I called the message off to a good start because we saw a lot of good things uh, that, that uh, we, we learned a lot of good things about the way that Saul uh, started. I had originally planned to spend three or four weeks on the life of Saul. Um, we are going to talk about him some more when we turn our attention to David. But I ultimately decided that we were only going to spend two weeks specifically focused on Saul because once you move on from his good start... His story really gets kind of redundant, and it can be summarized in a single word, disobedience. Disobedience. So three weeks ago, we saw his good start. Today, we're going to cover the rest of his life and reign as king, and it's this tragic word that defines his life, disobedience. For much of uh, this message, I'm simply going to be referencing various events that we find throughout the book of 1 Samuel, but then toward the end, we're actually going to turn and read 1 Samuel chapter 31. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, I welcome you to do that. I've called today's message, Saul, and the end result of sin, because this story is very instructive about where sin eventually leads people. It's very instructive about what the end result of sin always is. Before we look at those things, let's consider three examples of Saul's sin that we find in 1 Samuel. The first is recorded for us in chapter 13. Even though we're not going to turn there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. The Israelites and their enemies, the Philistines, were assembled against each other and they were preparing for battle and were told that the troops that were with Saul were quaking with fear. And so his men started to abandon him. They started to scatter. Saul had been told by Samuel that he was to wait to go to battle until Samuel had arrived on the scene and offered the burnt and fellowship offerings. But when Samuel did not arrive at the time that had been indicated, Saul became impatient and he made the offering himself, which is something that only the priests were to do. When Samuel came and discovered what Saul had done, he asked Saul about it. And Saul proceeded to blame his actions on Samuel for not having come at the appointed time. And while it was true that Samuel hadn't been there at the appointed time, it was completely irrelevant to whether or not Saul should have offered the sacrifice himself. Samuel heard Saul's lame response, and then Samuel responded with this immediate And devastating reply. You acted foolishly. You have not uh, kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Remember that Saul's kingship and the kingship for all kings of Israel were not to be like the other kings of the time. They were always to rule under the authority of God. 
Even though God granted the people's request to put a human king over them, he was never free to rule on his own. He had a responsibility to rule under the authority of God, to recognize God as Israel's ultimate authority, and to always be obedient to the will of God. In taking upon himself a role that God had not granted him, usurping the role that was Samuel's, Saul was disobedient not only to Samuel, but also to God. He usurped not only Samuel's authority, but God's authority. And friends, this is a great definition of sin. It's kind of a, you know, old word. People don't use it a lot these days, but but it's this. It's disobedience to God. It is usurping for oneself authority that belongs to God. And I want you to notice what kind of precipitated Saul's disobedience. It resulted from fear. He was afraid of losing his men. He was afraid that waiting on Samuel would result in more bad things. He was afraid that waiting on God's timing would place him in greater danger. And so he took matters into his own hands. You know, it's easy for us to look at stories like this and be critical of the characters in the stories. But how many of us do this very same thing? How many of us, time after time after time, convince ourselves that doing things God's way will be to our disadvantage? And so we take matters into our own hands. We disobey God. We usurp authority that is God's alone. For Saul and for us, when we do this, it is sin. And friends, sin does not end well. Throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we see how sinfully Saul treated people. He treated his own son, Jonathan, very sinfully. He lied to him. He, he took credit for accomplishments that belonged to Jonathan, but, but Saul took the credit for himself. He tried to pit Jonathan against his good friend, David. His treatment of his own son was very sinful. His treatment of David was sinful. Of course, we see that played out in much of the book of 1 Samuel. David served Saul very faithfully. By the way, as you've read through 1 Samuel, are you just amazed by how David restrained himself and how David continued to honor this man that treated him so, so awfully? David never wronged Saul in any way. He refused to harm him even when Saul was trying to kill him. It's an amazing story. And yet in spite of this deference that David showed, and in spite of the honor that he showed, the restraint that he showed, Saul just continued to hate him. He treated David very sinfully. So in his treatment of Jonathan and David and even Samuel, Saul is revealed to be a very sinful man. He is revealed to be prideful, he is revealed to be envious. He is revealed to be a hate-filled man. Once again, it's easy for us to look at these stories and think how awful he is. But how often do these things apply to us as well? How many of us are prideful? Say, not me. 
But have you ever found yourself saying, you know, I know the Bible says that, but that's pride. I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do this other thing. It's pride. Ever found yourself saying, I don't need to listen to that person. They don't know any more than me. Even when that person is an authority in your life. Not as many amens on that one. How many of us are envious? We secretly envy our friend's house, our friend's job, our friend's spouse. We envy them for what they have. We covet what is theirs. How many of us, if we could really peer into each other's souls, would be exposed as having hatred toward another person or perhaps toward a group of people? We covered up well, but if we could really see inside of all of our souls, are there people among us who hate folks of a different ethnicity? have hate in their heart for people from a different country. Maybe we have some folks here who have hate in their hearts for those bleeding heart liberals. Maybe we have people who have hate in their heart for those uncompassionate conservatives. Maybe we hate a boss who makes life tough on us. Maybe we hate a former spouse. We call these different things, you know. I don't hate, I just really don't like. But if we could see your heart, the fact is that there is hate there. For Saul and for us, pride, envy, hate, they're all sin. And they lead to really bad endings. They're sin. And sin does not end well. Chapter 15 of 1 Samuel tells the story of the final example of Saul's sin that I want to reference for today. One of the great enemies of the Israelites uh, were the Amalekites. They were a ruthless people. And because of the great threat that they were to the Israelites, God instructed that Saul and his army were to completely destroy the Amalekites. You'll remember that Stan talked about this extensively in his sermon uh, several weeks ago when he covered the entire book of 1 Samuel. (laughs) It was my last chance to get one more more dig in, Stan. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I... have a bad habit of repeating the same things over and over, I know. So here the instructions were. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Kill them all. Now, we have a hard time reconciling ourselves to that kind of instruction coming from God. And yet it did. And at least in part, it did because of the threat that these people were to Israel. 
at least in part, it was a result. It resulted from their great sin as a people. We're told that upon hearing that command, what Saul actually did was, quote, spared Agag, who was the Amalekite king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, he spared. The scriptures say these they were unwilling to destroy. They had been told to, but they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed those things. So Samuel arrives on the scene and Saul comes out and greets him and says this, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel responds, What then is this bleeding of the sheep I hear? What is this lowing of the cattle that I hear? And then Saul proceeds to explain that the soldiers spared the best, but we totally destroyed the rest. Notice what Saul has done here. He has clearly disobeyed the command of God, and yet he is trying to pass off his disobedience as obedience. He's trying to change the definition of of obedience from doing what you're instructed to doing something totally different than what you're instructed. Bad Saul. Bad Saul. But what about you? And what about me? How often do we do this very thing? God says, you know what? I've noticed that you're being a little too friendly with your married co-worker. I've noticed that you've been going to lunch with them. And I want you to stop it completely. And here's what we decide. Well, I won't go to lunch with them alone, but I'll continue to go for part of a group. Well, and let me define that. As long as there are other people from work in the same place, it'll be okay if we still sit at a separate table. We redefine obedience. God said, stop doing it. And we offered something a little short of that. A lot short of that. Here's the problem with redefining obedience. It can't be redefined. It is what it is. We can redefine it, but we're just being disobedient. God says, I want you to stop cheating on your taxes. Four weeks away. And here's what we turn that into. I won't cheat on my taxes until the tax liability is more than I can afford. Then I'll cheat on my taxes. Now, you don't say it quite like that, probably. But if we could see how many have done that. Trying to redefine obedience doesn't change that we're simply disobedient. 
For Saul and for us, disobedience is sin, and it does not end well. Here's what Samuel 15, verses 26 through 29 say, and I think we have uh, these verses to show on the screen. It is Samuel speaking to Saul on behalf of God. And he says, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So God rejects Saul as king over Israel, and here's why. Saul was unfit to be king because he refused to accept the authority of God. He refused to accept God as Israel's true king. He wouldn't submit. He was going to do what Saul wanted, when Saul wanted, how Saul wanted. That's what he was going to do. And friends, God is not cool with that. He's not. He wasn't cool with that when Saul did it. And he isn't cool with that when we do it. He isn't cool with that when I relate to him that way. And he's not cool with that when you relate to him that way. Because God demands obedience. Saul was disobedient. And so God rejected him. We are disobedient. And apart from Jesus Christ... We are separated from God by our disobedience. Our fate is the same as Saul's apart from Jesus and faith in him. So we've seen Saul's sin. We've seen here that Saul was rejected by God because of his sin, because of his disobedience. And now from the life of Saul, I want to consider for a few minutes the end result of sin. I want to start by reading through uh, the entire chapter of uh, 1 Samuel 31. It's rather short, 13 verses. And it shows uh, some of what we're going to talk about uh, in discussing the end result of sin. So here's what it says. I think it will show on the screen behind me. If you have your Bible uh, and want to follow along there, that's great as well. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, "'Draw your sword and run me through.'" Or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. 
The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Within this chapter, and just by considering what we learn from the life of Saul, we see the end result of sin. There are three things that I want to draw our attention to today that were the end result of his life, and three things that are always the end result of sin. And here's the first thing we find. The end result of sin is always unfulfilled potential unfulfilled potential. Saul meets his demise at the hands of the Philistines. He was meant to defeat the Philistines. That's what the king of Israel was meant to do, was defeat the Philistines. But instead, he was defeated by them, and it was a result of his disobedience. Saul's defeat here in chapter 31 is uh, contrasted with David's victory in the previous chapter. David defeats the Amalekites while Saul is defeated by the people he was meant to defeat. He did not accomplish what he was meant to do. And friends, sin will always do this to us. It will always keep us from fulfilling our potential. Listen, every single one of us in here today who are married, we have the potential to have a great marriage. At least a really good marriage. We have the potential for that. But your unwillingness to ever prefer anyone over yourself, your unwillingness to surrender your own desires and be faithful in your marriage, Those things are going to result in you never realizing your potential in your marriage. Either this one or the next three. Somewhere along the line, you have to prefer somebody above yourself. You may have the potential to lead in the church. Maybe you have the potential to be a really effective ministry leader. Maybe God has gifted you with a teaching gift. Maybe you're called to be a pastor or called to start a church. But you're unwilling to receive instruction. You're unwilling to learn from anyone because you think you know all there is to know. And how could you learn from someone who's not as smart as you anyway? And so your potential is never fulfilled. Because you cannot submit to anyone, not even a Christian leader. And somewhere in a place that no one sees but God, the reality often is that people who cannot submit to God-ordained leaders 
it is actually a symptom of a larger problem that they cannot submit to God himself. You have the potential to overcome the habitual sin that you're involved in. But you won't be honest enough to admit that you need help. Pride keeps you from even being willing to admit that you have a problem. And because of your pride, your refusal to admit that you need help, you keep living as a slave to something that you could be free from, something that God wants you to be free from, something that Jesus died to set you free from, something that the power of the Holy Spirit is present in your life to make you free from. The potential to be free is never realized. And the examples could go on and on and on. I think you know this without me telling you. But friends, unfulfilled potential is a heavy price to pay for disobedience. It is a heavy price to pay. And sin always leads to unfulfilled, unrealized potential, which is always marked by deep regret. You don't want to end up in this place. You don't want this to be the end result of your life. And you can avoid this fate by simply surrendering to God and living in obedience to Him. Sin leads to unfulfilled potential and sin leads to broken relationships. After 1 Samuel 15, we have no evidence of Samuel ever speaking to Saul again. And he probably did not. David was a loyal aide to Saul, but Saul dies estranged from someone who honored him throughout his entire life. Saul dies with his son Jonathan still being loyal to him. But 1 Samuel gives us ample evidence that theirs was a strained and difficult relationship. Sin leads to broken relationships. Look at all the broken relationships in your life. And and all of us, sadly, have one or two or a few. Look at those in your life. And as I consider the ones in my life, in every case, the relationship is broken either because of your sin or because of someone else's sin. But sin's always in there. Somebody sins, and relationships are broken. How many marriages do you really want to go through because you can't obey the command to honor someone above yourself, to prefer someone above yourself? How many relationships, marriages, do you really want to go through Because you can't honor God's commandments on how you're to use your body. How many marriages do you want to go through because you can't obey the command to love your wife as Christ loved the church? How many friends do you want to lose because your gossiping knows no boundaries? How many friends do you want to lose because you tend to treat people, relate to people, only in a way that tries to get something out of them, not give to them? How long can your relationship with your children survive when the only thing that comes out of your mouth is condemnation for past wrong decisions they've made? And that could apply to a lot of different relationships. 
Friends, I believe we sin against our brothers and sisters when we continually remind them of their past failures. You are placing, when we, when, when we do that, we are placing condemnation on people that God says there is no condemnation for. We're putting back on them what Christ has lifted off of them. It's sinful. How long can a relationship survive that kind of thing? Keep living in disobedience to God. Keep preferring yourself above all others. And the end result will be a bunch of broken relationships. Unfulfilled potential, broken relationships... And then the place where sin eventually and ultimately leads, the true end of the road when it comes to sin is death. death. Saul is wounded by the Philistine archers because of his fear of being made a spectacle of. He asks his armor bearer to kill him. But the armor bearer is afraid to do it, so Saul takes his own sword, falls on it. He takes his own life. Of course, we read in the text that Saul was still made a spectacle of. His armor is placed in the places of pagan worship. His body was uh, fastened to the wall of Beth Shan until it was eventually recovered by the people of Jabesh Gilead and treated with more respect. This is the end of the road for Saul, and this is always the end of the road when it comes to sin, death. And friends, it goes way beyond simply physical death, but death in all that it means death in the ultimate sense. We see this as the end result of sin here in First uh, Samuel in the story of Saul, but this truth is affirmed throughout Scripture and nowhere more clearly and more devastatingly than Romans 6.23, which tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death in all that it means includes this, Eternal, conscious separation from God. Definition of hell right there. Eternal, conscious separation from God. It is the end result of sin, which is really sobering news for a room full of sinners. But there is hope. But there is hope. For Saul, death in all that it means was the end result of his life. But for you and for me, though we are sinners like Saul, there can be a different end for us. And there can be a different end for us because though Saul was an unfit king, a better king was coming. A better king was coming. The book of 1 Samuel ends in anticipation of the one who will be a suitable king of Israel. The first readers of this text would have approached the end of 1 Samuel in eager anticipation of the next chapters of 2 Samuel that tell us of the coronation of King David. You see, Saul was unfit as king because he was disobedient to God. 
He was unwilling to repent. He was unwilling to turn away from rebellion. He was unwilling to admit his failures, own up to his own shortcomings. The coming King David was fit to be Israel's king. Not because he always obeyed God perfectly, but because even though he was imperfect, he had a heart that was after God. Yes, he sinned. He sinned greatly. We, we know that about his story. But when confronted with his sin, when challenged, instead of blaming others, like Saul would do, instead of trying to pass off his sin as something else, like Saul would do, he was quick to admit his sin and he was quick to repent. Israel's first king was unfit Israel's second king was fit to lead because he was a man after God's own heart. And so the the first readers of this would have looked in anticipation to the next chapters that tell of this better king. And then for us today, we know something about this. We know of the coming of David's greater son, Jesus Christ. The first king of Israel was unfit. The second king was imperfect but suitable because he was quick to repent. But David's greater son, Jesus Christ, is the one who lived in perfect obedience to God, always did the Father's will, never sinned, not even once, fully fulfilled God's requirement that those who would be king completely submit to the will and rule of God. And because he lived this sinless life in perfect obedience to God, when he went to the cross and died for the sins of mankind, his death satisfied for all mankind the penalty that we had invited on ourselves, the penalty that we had earned through our sin. And so because of the coming of David's greater son, though we sin like Saul, our end does not have to be the same as Saul's. Because Christ has secured a different end for us through his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection. And if we will simply follow the example of Israel's second king instead of Israel's first king, if instead of insisting that we're right, And everybody else is wrong, even when we're wrong. Instead of trying to redefine obedience and pass disobedience off as obedience. If instead of trying to always be right, no matter how wrong we are. If we will follow the example of King David. If we will be quick to admit that we're wrong. Quick to acknowledge our sin. Quick to turn away and repent of our sin. If we relate to God like Israel's second king instead of Israel's first king, then the eternal king, Jesus Christ, will remove from us the penalty of our sin. He'll give us the eternal life he secured for all who come to faith in him. You're a sinner like Saul. I am too. But you don't have to end up like Saul. The end result of your sinful life does not have to be death because God is merciful and gracious and he has provided a different end.
for all who will turn to Christ in faith. One final thought that I want to share with you and then we'll wrap up for today. Even those of us, and I'm thankful that so many of us here today, who have turned to Christ in faith and received the salvation that he freely offers us, we have to remain mindful of the end result of sin, even for our own lives. It is true that God's uh, grace, that, that by God's grace, death is no longer the end result of our lives. By God's grace, grace death is no longer the end result of our sinful lives. But friends, even for those who have received salvation in Christ, sin can still lead some really bad places. Sin can still result in unfulfilled potential. It can still result in broken relationships, even for those whose eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. You do not want to end your life with unfulfilled potential and broken relationships. And so I am asking you today to make sure that you are quick to admit when you sin. Make sure that you are quick to turn to God when you sin. And make sure you are quick to make amends to those that you sin against. The reality is, friends, that we may not be able to undo all the damage that past sin has done in our lives. We may not be able to recover some of the wasted potential uh, that, that resulted from earlier decisions in our lives. We may not be able to see every broken relationship from the past healed. God can heal broken relationships, but I, I just can't guarantee you every broken relationship is going to get healed. But whether it is unfulfilled potential or broken relationships, here is my appeal to all of us today. First of all, it is let the past stay in the past. There doesn't need to be any condemnation for anything that you have brought before God, that you have submitted to Christ, and that you have repented of. No condemnation for that. But here is my prayer for you that from this point forward, you would not allow sin to steal your potential and you would not allow sin to wreck your relationships. Through surrender, you can avoid the end result of sin. You can avoid the pain of unfulfilled potential. You can avoid broken relationships, at least the ones that you cause. And you can avoid the ultimate end result of sin. You can be free from the sting of death surrender through obedience. Why don't you stand?